It's a big one. It's episode 50 of Honestly Unbalanced, a podcast where we have honest and open conversations with people who've dedicated their life to actually improving yours. The guest this week is a wonderful Kat Mafan. Kat is a global yoga teacher and founder of The Soul Sanctuary, which is an online yoga and meditation membership site. Uh, the Soul Sanctuary is helping thousands of women across the world every day connect to their body and go on an exploration of the soul. She hopes to make women feel more confident in themselves and to know that the yoga mat can be both a place of deep self-study, but also a space of fun, freedom, aliveness, and joy. Let me give you a little bit of a lowdown of what we chatted about. We chatted about practicing patience, getting curious with guilt, moving from city to seaside, what it's like to be an influencer, or whether we even like that term, the fear of speaking, finding yoga through gymnastics injuries, fighting with ego and validation, the importance of gratitude, morning routines and a no phone rule this conversation was really fun really light really flowed nice and i think you guys will enjoy it if you do enjoy it please do share it please do give us a five star rating please do leave us a review it means the world to us we put a massive amount of effort into getting this stuff out there and we'd love you to help us so thank you so much in advance enjoy the episode guys and one more thing, if you head to honestlyunbalanced.com, you will find the show notes where we include some quotes, some references, and also some cheeky little discounts. So have a little look at honestlyunbalanced.com if you want to learn more and see stuff in front of you and check out all the other amazing episodes. Honestly Unbalanced. Time now is... 8.27, right. It's I, definitely, it's definitely of, not. I feel like you could say a time of death. Time <laughs> <laughs> now is. And also, it's definitely not 8.27, it's it's 9.08. <laughs> where did I get that from? Where did I... and, and your watch says 9.08 as well, so I don't know where, where, did, where, where that came from. <laughs> oh, I need to record on the... You have to give permission now. It's a strong start. Right. <laughs> we... <laughs> we, I want to speak about the dog. We've been, we've got massive dog envy. Oh, the dog. We've, we've been looking at dogs and realised maybe it's not the right time for mm. us. So we get our kicks from looking at other people's dogs. Where did you, <laughs> where did you rescue? What's his name again or hers? His name's Norman. Oh. His name's Norman, and I rescued him from a charity called Fetcher Dog. They're based in Kent, but obviously throughout the throughout the last year of situations i think that where they were just rehoming in their local area they've kind of gone a lot bigger so they uh, rescue dogs from bosnia and romania i think but norman's bosnian he's got a little bosnian passport oh <laughs> what's what's happened to him he's got his little cone on his head he looks so I cute know, he's in the cone of shame cone of shame got, um he had this virus that most dogs just get in their mouth mm. but just because he's like really lucky he got it on his eye and it oh. just it's like it's like a growth so it normally it goes after five months but it just got bigger and bigger and bigger and Unless they removed it, it was going to get a lot harder to remove. So he had to have a little operation. Well, not his eye. But He's still got an eye. He's still got an eye. It was literally in the corner of his oh. eye. And we actually, just 10 minutes before I came on this podcast, my partner was like, babe, I think it's grown back. So I'm kind of now having to take him to the vets this afternoon to oh. see what's going to happen. But normally but rescue so dogs, like street rescue dogs, tend to be quite, unless they've got something from the street, tend to be genetically quite healthy, don't they? Like we had a DNA test done on him and he showed like no issues. Cause obviously, I mean, they, 
I mean, who knows what he's been bred with, um, but his DNA showed that he was perfectly healthy. But this is it, the virus that he got is a virus that lots of puppies get. And a lot of the time it's in their mouth. So the owners never even know that they've got it. But you guys should get a dog. Well, my, my question with the dog is, you know, how do you get anything done in life with a dog? So, well, well, well. <laughs> Tips. You boundaries, mm. boundaries, because Norman's not allowed upstairs. So my studio where I am right now is on the top floor of the house. And this is like my workspace. So he's only allowed downstairs and in the garden and he's really chilled at home. And as much as I would love to sit with him and give him cuddles all day, it's, oh, this sounds terrible, but it's kind of like that out of sight, out of mind. Like if he was sitting next to me, I think I would just be like stroking him and wanting to play with him all day. But because I sort of leave him to sleep and you have to get over, I think I found this with my last rescue dog. You have to get over that the dog isn't bored. Dogs just sleep a lot more than we do. Mm. And I really struggled with that. I was like, oh, he looks so bored. He <laughs> just, like just looks like he wants to do something. He's just laying in his bed. But actually, dogs sleep a lot. And as long as they're getting enough exercise. And he's, Norman is very energetic. We actually just had a conversation about needing to walk him more, which is hard because I have a broken toe at the moment. Yeah. So, but I think boredom in dogs normally manifests as kind of destroying stuff, doesn't it? It doesn't manifest as more sleep. It manifests no, as carnage. It, it, it would just be that like sometimes he'll get like he'll get overtired and like a child he'll get hyperactive um and he'll get he'll do like a million zoomies in the garden and just, like, run, <laughs> oh, so, which is fine because then he wears himself out but yeah some dogs get destructive they'll just play up a bit more if they're bored and i read an issue with collies we were looking at different breeds and like, i was like learning a lot about dogs and often it's with collies you have to be careful you don't exercise them too much because they then get really fit require <laughs> more exercising. Like you don't want to make a collie too fit because it just keeps requiring more and more. It's like training a marathon runner. <laughs> you just have to rein it in maybe, a little bit. Maybe that is because I, we found out that Norman's half husky and my old dog was husky and Akita. And like obviously huskies just want to run. All they want to do is just run and chase. So maybe that's why when he's done a bit, he just wants to do more. I'm mm. kind of like giving him a little slice of the goodness. Yeah, no, indeed. How did you break your? How did you break your toe? <laughs> Running into the sea. Oh well, oh. that's quite a cool, cool way to break your toe. I mean, of all toe. the things, of all the things that I throw my body around doing. <laughs> I did it whilst just running into the sea. Yeah, I, I ran. I did my Baywatch <laughs> style run into the sea and then just smashed it onto a rock. Um, so, yeah, it, it's just a bit frustrating. But, hey, that's all part of the practice, right? But what can you what can you do with a broken toe? You can't really do it much. You can't, well, that's the thing. You can't. So you just, I mean, it's currently just strapped up to its next door friend mm. just strapped up to the other toe like the like nhs just say like don't even bother coming to hospital unless you can see a bone or it's like mm. fully bent out of shape well do you know i am a fellow toe breaky i did it in um mark one of marcus vader's uh, marcus how do you say it? vader, vader. yeah sorry it's gone out of my head then he's like my first yoga teacher sorry marcus marcus <laughs> vader's class and i actually for like the first time in my life ever managed to hold a handstand so i was so proud of myself marcus was like yes holly and i just landed in the most ridiculous way i, I let both of my legs come down at the same time rather than one at a time because I was just like smashing it and I literally did smash it and everyone heard this crack 
And I just remember Marcus saying, well, there goes our yoga career. And I was just like shaking in child's pose. And it's, and yeah, everyone said, oh, you can't do anything with a broken toe. And now it looks completely wonky and out of place. But, but I've learned to love I'm, it. I'm guessing you didn't tape it. I didn't tape it, no. no. <laughs> did, you just, did you just carry on about your life? I just carried on with my life, yeah. See, I can't like the pet. So if I'm, I can't walk normally because it gets this like searing, like shooting pain up the toe. Mm. So I feel like, I feel like I do need to, I mean, I walked Norman for the first day since I did it this morning. And then I came back with the other foot being more sore than the broken toe <laughs> foot. because I was like compensating mm. so much. You- but... It's fine. Do you do you feel like it's um it's helped you in a way to I'm just trying to see like the silver lining is it a way of helping you to slow down on some level? I think more so I I I think more so for me it's patience. So slowing down I think I actually I'm pretty good at I have a pretty solid like slow morning routine. Um I'm quite I'm quite good at stepping away from work and just taking moments for myself I think for me my my biggest issue is is patience and just like uh, allowing things to take time and and heal and also just the frustration that comes with it that sort of the guilt over even the guilt over not being able to walk Norman and needing my partner to walk him um not being able to film the practices that I had scheduled to film this week um and it's all when I really peel it back, it's all just man-made guilt that I have just put on myself because nothing's gonna happen if I if I don't do those things. Like mm. it's not the end of the world. But I just put that pressure on myself. Any so any, any technique for getting rid of that guilt? Mm. No, I mean just get closer to it, I guess. Like really just you know, the 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 more I am, the more I'm aware of it the more I can kind of see it for what it is. And I can see that it is purely because, so guilt's like a man-made emotion, right? We weren't born with guilt. We, mm-hmm. we, so we're born with kind of joy and sadness. We know when something's, we know when something makes us happy as a baby and we know when something makes us sad, but we weren't born with the feeling of guilt. We, that was something that we, it's a learned behavior over time. So I think that the more, I can kind of observe it and the more I see it and I talk about it. So I like said to my partner this morning, I was like, I took Norman for a walk when I know I shouldn't have because I was feeling guilty. And now I'm just kind of taking a moment to reflect on what triggered me to do that and being honest and saying to him, like, I actually needed you to do that, but I didn't ask you to because I just put that pressure on myself. So Mm. I think just, yeah. Noticing I, it. I wonder how how you said it's a, a human made thing. I wonder if it is natural. Only thinking, I think like laughter, you know, laughter and humor, kind of from an evolutionary perspective, was a, a bonding tool. It was designed mm. to help people bond together. And maybe guilt was the same thing. To maybe on reflection to help you bond. And interestingly, with dogs, people often say, "Oh, that dog looks guilty. They've done something naughty," <laughs> which they realise is fear. That's actually that a dog being well, so, scared. Exactly. So I think that's it. I think it's the word guilt. It's like so guilt can come in so many forms. It can be fear. It can be. And I think that when you and so when I use the word guilt and say that's kind of like this man-made emotion, it's not so much the emotion, but it's the term of it. Mm. If you strip back the layers of guilt and go to the root of what the guilt is. It is exactly one of those things. Maybe it's a bit of fear. Maybe there's an anxiety. Maybe there's sadness in it. So I guess it's more just kind of peeling it back and understanding what is really happening when you're just like, oh, I just feel guilty. 
It's like it's a lot more than just that. Mm. Even I think I read a book about gossip, how gossip is actually an evolutionary tool. The idea of like building trust. It's building trust between oh, yeah. like other people and uh, yeah, gossip. Is no, but we're not promoting gossip, are we? <laughs> <laughs> Who do you hate in the yoga industry? <laughs> Oh, your God. your studio so it's what you your beautiful space you got behind you beautiful pampas grass yeah. nice that nice chilled out vibes fluffy love i it. think i'd have issues reaching my arms up in there as in like no you actually wouldn't oh really so you want to see how high it goes oh sheesh oh it goes on wow oh my gosh it's beautiful we, yeah, we built a studio and then realized actually i'm too tall to do anything in it like if i handstand <laughs> my feet are flat against the ceiling and it's i can cheating. just like one nice. arm handstand all day <laughs> But you, so, so when you, people come in here, they always say, oh, it's so much bigger than it looks in the video, like so much taller than it looks in the video, because I think you only ever see it. Of course. So like, yeah. That level. So when did it, did you move knowing that, I guess you've always been able to work wherever you want to some degree. Did you mm-hmm. move thinking, actually, I want a place that can be everything to me, can be my studio, can be everything I want it to be. And then yeah. is, is that why you left London? Um, so it's not, it's, so it's not why I left London. Well, I suppose it, I'm not, I just was never suited to London. I, the reason I actually, the reason my partner and I moved into London at the, in January, what year are we in? Who knows? January, 2020 was because I wanted to run some yoga events and I wanted to do a few more workshops and just actually get a bit more face time because, um, I've never been a studio um, regular local yoga teacher. That's just not ever been my my thing. I've always done either one to ones or workshops or events and retreats and stuff like that. So I just wanted to do a bit more of that. And then obviously moved to London and got put into a lockdown. Um, and I I think that you know when i was in two different houses then 2019 i fully traveled and though obviously my job is great because i can do it from anywhere i am at heart and so i'm 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 an earth sign so i do need my grounding i need to feel like i have a base and it was even little things like in our flat i would in order i was filming in the front room so the front room to me was never somewhere I relaxed mm. because it was always associated with work. Yeah. And so when why did, we decided to move, we wanted to move down to the coast anyway, because we both surf and just love being outdoors. Um, so Bournemouth was the perfect option because it's quite close to where our families were. Well, it's not close, but it's not too far away from where our families are. And so, yeah, I just looked for a place where I, it could have just been a spare room. It didn't need to be, you know, a loft studio, but it, it just needed to be a dedicated space mm. that I felt that was my workspace. And that when I left that space, I left work because that was a really important boundary for me. So you never really got to experience London, London then? You were, you were in lockdown the whole time, were you? Well, I did London years and years oh, ago. Okay. So before I moved to Stamford in Lincolnshire, um, I did London back when I was like tw- in my 20s. Mm. So yeah, I kind of did my London. And I've always, I've gr- I grew up in North London, Hertfordshire. So I spent a lot of time in London. And I, London's great. But London in lockdown, not so great. No. <laughs> and Avi, is your partners, can they go anywhere they want for work? Are they completely... Uh, yeah, so Luke has, uh, so his business, he does like property management, um, like Airbnb management. So um, he has his own place in Sri Lanka. 
which um, mm-hmm. we sort of, that's why we go back and forth to Sri Lanka quite a bit, but obviously that's closed at the moment. Um, and he manages a few other properties, but it's mostly online and then he'll outsource like any maintenance work that needs to happen. So mm-hmm. yeah, and he's currently, his job at the moment is actually currently to convert our van into a home on wheels. Oh, wow, that's oh, so Oh, you're cool. living that life. Oh. Is that oh, one, we're, that- we're, we're gonna, we're, we're not gonna live yeah, <laughs> just dabble. <laughs> We're going to dabble in that life for dabble a few weeks in the van. <laughs> should we? Should we go back a little bit and and uh, hear about your journey? You know where it started for you, how you became a yoga teacher. Feel free to go and on for blogger. as long as you. Uh, is oh, that yes. a thing as, anymore? Uh, is, is that a it's term? not for me. A I haven't read a blog post in a long time. A fitness blogger. No, but that was quite a thing. It'd be like, oh, there's some bloggers in class, or we're doing an event for bloggers. I haven't heard the word blogger. Yeah, let's hear what. No, but now, now everyone's like a. And I hate this word, but now they're we're, we're influencers. I'm glad you said you hate that word because I don't like it either. It's just it doesn't feel <laughs> right on some level. But surely every single human on earth has influence. influence. That's what I think. Micro and macro influence. Oh god. <laughs> oh my honestly, I can't. It's and I and I hate this little speech bubble sign, <laughs> but I have to use it when I say that word because I can't. I dread to think that somebody actually thinks that I seriously think that I am an influencer. You just um, kind of you automatically get labelled that. It's like you don't have a choice in it. It's like oh, I have this many okay. followers, so you are an influencer. It's like well, I don't, I don't want to, I want to subscribe to that word. But what would what would you call it then? I guess because when you use oh, well, I mean, like so. And, and again, this could describe anyone with any number of followers, but which is why I kind of like it. But I think the more widely used term now is content creator. Yeah, mm. that's nice. Yeah. And, I, and, and I'm fine with that. I can be a content creator because I literally do create content for the people that, you know, follow along with my journey. Mm. And, I, and I'm fine with that. The influencer side of it, I think it... and. It just challenges the ego a bit, doesn't it? Because you're like, oh, I don't want to step into that realm of thinking that I am up here yeah. influencing anyone that is beneath. I, it's, it just feels horrible. It feels it feels very murky. That's, re- like that's so refreshing to hear. It's, it's almost like the guru thing in yoga, isn't it? You know, when you worship your guru who is above you. And it's. I yeah. think that, that is, all of that is kind of crumbling down now, actually. So. I, and I agree, which is good. I, I really struggle. I don't know if, because I know you both teach kind of events and, you know, some bigger events as well, but I really struggle with the stage. I, I can't, if I teach a class at an event, I just have to come and I know it's probably really annoying for the people. It serves its purpose, I'm sure, because people can see what you're doing, but I just have to get down to the same level. Mm. I think that whole, that whole height thing of being up on a stage as the yoga teacher, again, I have a little bit of a, Mm. I feel a bit uncomfortable with it. And also you're an earth sign, so you want to be close to the earth. So maybe it's to do a little bit with that as well. Do you actually, following on from that, and I do want to loop back to the question about your journey, but do you get stage fright ever? Or is there anything that really makes you nervous? Yeah, so not, um, so teaching, I can do, I love teaching. Feel like I am just like the floating unicorn and I'm like just in my, in my realm. But if someone ever asked me to do because i see loads of people doing them but if ever ever someone asked me to do one of those like ted talks Mm. you know they do like the tedx talks and things like that (gasps) like having to talk having to present a talk that would that would give me a lot of stage fright and when i used to dance 
even though when I was in the moment, I would be fine. But if I did was performing dance, I would get such terrible anxiety the seconds before I was about to go mm. on stage. So yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? it. Yeah, it's a shame that we we experience those things. It almost, I mean, it's. I think it's important to get a little bit nervous. I get terrified before I sing in from in front of an audience, but I think it's it shows you care, doesn't it, to an extent. And I think anything that doesn't, I think things that challenge you Mm. are ultimately amazing for growth. And they, you know, to feel something. I would, I suppose, if I felt nothing, I would be like, oh, why am I? Yeah. Why am I doing this if I don't feel anything at all? But yeah, it's that difference of like an an excitement Mm. versus like a really heavy anxiety. Mm. And even you know when you sit, it's so silly, but if you like do. I go to events where there's like women's circles and you're going around the circle and everyone's saying something mm. and the closer and closer it gets to me, I get hotter and sweatier and then I talk about a million miles an hour and then I cry. <laughs> and I bet you're not even crying because of what you're talking about. It's just the oh, fact that you're talking. <laughs> it's just the emo- it's, yeah. it's like the emotion. Yeah. It's like I, the, in- the intensity of it. I can totally relate. I think every single woman or, or anyone listening to this can relate. Can rel- to that as well and you're not yeah. listening to the person before you that's, that's speaking so eloquently about their life and their problems you're literally only focusing on what you're gonna say or mess up <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just like stressed in yeah. that moment yeah I think so much of it is down to familiarity isn't it like you need things that expand your comfort zone of course and push you yeah. out there but of course the more you do something the more familiar it is mm. like as teachers teaching yoga for me now not is nothing but I never any fear because I've taught 6,000, 7,000 classes, it's, it becomes, yeah. but still, as you say, for a talk, because I'm completely unfamiliar with it, or even for me, like, if we're, if there's a group thing, and I'm like, I'm one of the people, and I'm, I don't have a role, per se, maybe that's an interesting factor, the role, the idea of having a role, yeah. when you're a teacher, you have a particular role, and you fulfill that role, but when you're in a, a circle, you don't have a role, and then suddenly you become a little bit more exposed and I think maybe we like the idea of having the identified role there was some comfort in that and the the control as well Mm. because when you're facilitating you're in control of the direction you're in control of the conversation to a point so yeah maybe when you're then in when you are in that vulnerable space it's a little bit more unknown Mm. and it's yeah it's the unknown that always always scares us doesn't it and that's why I say to like you know newer teachers just practice teaching that's how you'll become kind of really competent. It's just practice. Just yeah. keep doing it and you'll become at ease because you don't want to always be <laughs> be scared. Of course, maybe scared in a new place or scared with a new crowd, but you don't always want the fear to be No. There. I heard something... It, Go on. No, I was going to say, it's funny, like over the years of teaching, and this is like one of the only, <laughs> the only issues with being a teacher online is that your older practices are there, are still there forever. Mm. And obviously <laughs> as a teacher, you evolve so much. And one of my most popular YouTube videos is like this 20 minute power yoga practice. I actually have never rewatched it, but I do know that it was from like 2017. And I know that I probably wouldn't teach like Mm -hmm. that now. And I just think oh, it's had like something like 2 million views and oh. and people are still doing it. And I'm like, just do the new stuff. Mm. <laughs> but you know, someone or a few handful of people are going to watch that and that'll be exactly what they need at that time. Exactly. So, yeah, it's going to be helping. I, I learned a really interesting thing or I heard on a podcast a really interesting thing about fear um, and it always really stuck with me. And I think it was, is it Elizabeth Taylor who wrote Eat, Play? Not Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah, Who's the one that wrote one, um, Elizabeth Gilbert? Yes. Pray love. I think it was her and she said oh fear is so arrogant because it's all about you and actually if you've got 
gifts to share with the world you need to share them you need to get out the way of yourself get out the way of your stupid fear because it's boring and no one cares and offer what you've got to offer to the world and I thought that was an interesting perspective but we all suffer <laughs> I with mean, it, so you can't draw you're actually shit at drawing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway I'm let's... off my voice to the world and start singing I, I, li- I think I like that I think that it can be, I think it has the potential to be a bit like diminishing yeah. of like someone's feelings, <laughs> potentially. But, but I, I like where she's going with it. Something in it. Let's, yeah. let's loop back round. I'd love to hear about your journey and where you, where you started and how you, you morphed into yoga. Yeah. So I, I was a fitness blogger. Um, and my background before I even stepped into a yoga class was gymnastics and dancing. So I always had this passion for movement and, you know, was kind of always in a, and I'm hypermobile. So, um, and had uh, knee reconstructions and injuries. So I'd kind of like really work with my body over this, over like a number of years fed that kind of quite quite naturally into a fitness blog and I was always I think I was always very open as well about struggles from the very start I was never somebody that was sort of like life is perfect I was like here's the highs here's the lows I spoke very openly about you know my past with eating disorders and things like that so um the my transition into yoga was I my the first class I went to was probably how old am I my gosh maybe 13 years ago um, and I just went to a local leisure center class with my mom. Um, and I just remember so clearly doing trikonasana and thinking, I'm good at a lot of things. Why is this so painful and so hard to hold? Like, what are all these muscles and why do they hurt? And I swear she kept us there for what felt like about 20 breaths. But I was like, okay, so there's something here. I wasn't able to, it was challenging me in a way that wasn't just physical, but it was also challenging, I think, like that ego side of things of being, finding stuff quite easy physically a lot of the time and actually thinking, okay, here's something that I actually have got to work on um, and also let go of that feeling of being, you know, when you're a dancer, being like the best in the class. You know, Mm. yoga's not about that it's it's something so much more than that so I went to this class and then I dabbled in a bit of yoga just kind of every now and again um and then it wasn't until maybe about two years after that first class that I really sort of started practicing um it feels like so long ago now I think every time I do an interview I'm like oh it was like 10 years ago 11 years ago 12 years ago and that's 13 years ago um but yeah and then I was doing I think because I was doing yoga and I was sharing my yoga online I was getting a lot of people asking if I was teaching and I never really thought I wanted to teach at the time I was designing jewelry I had my own jewelry collection and I was doing the fitness blogging and I kind of didn't really know what my avenue in life was but I was sort of fine with that I was just kind of prancing along doing my thing and then I decided I got to a point in my practice where I didn't feel that the weekly classes I was going to were giving me anything more than just the asana I felt that I there was there was clearly something about this practice that I loved but it wasn't just physical and but I didn't see that there was any other way to learn more about it other than go and do a teach training so went and did my first teach training and at the start, they asked everyone who's planning on teaching. And I think about only about 10% of people 
wanted to actually teach the 90% would like, Oh, I just want to do it for me. And by the end of it, everyone's like, yoga, <laughs> teach it. And, you know, wanting to get out there into the world. Um, and so, yeah, I just started doing, I was really, really fortunate, obviously, because I had the fitness blog, I was already working with some brands. One of the first and most awful classes I ever taught was with Adidas at an event. I will never forget it. I had like, you know, when you are like cookie cutter out of out of training, you're like breath, action, correction. <laughs> everything is like so as you have been taught. And I had my sequence written down and then I get to this event and I've got three beginners, three advanced people, a pregnant lady and two injured people. Oh and I was gosh. like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to do. Like the sequence mm. isn't going to work. And honestly, that first class was then the moment that I scrapped ever writing down a sequence from that point on, because the, I got more stressed having formulated a practice and not realizing that I needed to read the room mm. and then not, and then feeling that pressure in the moment. Um, so then, yeah, from that point on, I was like, I will always have an, have the idea, have the theme, have, mm. you know, whatever the peak's going to be, I'll, I'll know an outline, but I will never be as rigid into like having it written down. Mm. And yeah, and it's just grown from there, just teaching on YouTube. Um, I think as well, because I was already in that world YouTube didn't cut, it wasn't as alien for me because I was blogging and I had a management for the blog side of things. And they were asking me to do, they was like, you need to get on YouTube. You need to start doing vlogging. And I just, I was like, I want to be on YouTube, but I just vlogging and talking to camera. I didn't really understand like what I could really bring to someone's life. I didn't really understand how me telling someone about my day would <laughs> enhance their life. So I was like, well, now that I am qualified, maybe I'll just teach a few classes and film. And then it just, yeah. And then it really took off and grew. And now it's, now it's a beautiful beast. Mm. I know, you're doing so amazingly well. I've got a quick question about Trikonasana. As in, you <laughs> said you found it really hard, which surprises yeah. me because you've got a dance background, kind of an elite gymnastics background. Normally what I, so maybe you can speak about number one, why you found Trikonasana hard, but number two, as someone like who is a gymnast, of course, you will be able to do certain things that would be deemed advanced asana. Mm -hmm. And I find often people that have that, they kind of find yoga harder in a sense. Of course, it's easier to get into the shapes. And I speak one of my, one of my exes was an elite level gymnast as well. And in, in my, she came into my class and was just doing like crazy stuff. Cat might know her. You might mention it at the end off, off camera. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, but uh, but the what I found was it's, it was hard for anyone like that to to really get into finding something that's hard and interesting and a practice of self inquiry, and and even like being hypermobile makes yoga harder for you because of course you can lock out the shape, but then actually then it becomes quite dangerous because you're kind of hanging out in joints. So I guess perhaps you can speak a little bit about number one why was tricking us so hard because that confuses me, and then number two. How, like how hard was it for you to kind of get into the practice when certain things that other people deemed hard were perhaps easy yeah. for you? So trikonasana was hard, partly, I mean, so a lot, of, obviously dancing is fluid. There's, it, it's movement-based, but constant movement-based. And if you are in a, in a static place in dance, you're normally, you're not normally in something that's 
um, well, at least I was never in something that was kind of that shape. Yeah. <laughs> um, and gymnastics, again, con- con- constant. You're constantly moving. So I found Trigonasana hard partly because of how still I had to be in those breaths. And I think that because I hadn't done, I, it had been quite a few years since I'd done gymnastics, since I'd done dance, I'd sort of like my my movement in those between years had been more sort of going to the gym and stuff like that. So using my obliques, because she in the class, she it wasn't just your casual, you know, cheat trick and asana where you're sort of like slumping onto your arm and hanging out on your leg. It was like hover the arm off, mm. maybe even reach the top arm over. So my obliques, my whole torso is getting this massive work. My back, and then she came over and she was like, back quad. That is that. And Marcus does this a lot <laughs> in Trikonasana. He's like, that back leg, that quad, if it's not switched on, like, what are you doing? And so I was just like, there are so it in dance and gymnastics, it was a lot more about the visual effect of it. Whereas this was like me having to hone in on so many small parts of the body. And like you were saying, so yes, as a gymnast and a dancer, I could get into a pose that looked the part, but I was, was I really feeling it? Was I actually able to separate what was like my glutes switching on from what was, you know, my hip opening. And so it really, for me, made me, slow down a little bit in my movement because all of my movement had been impactful it had been like you know running jumping leaping twirling and this was so much slower Mm. and so much more intention based as well you know I still love dance a lot of what I do I do a lot of embodied movement embodied flow and that's all about feeling and I think it is so important to have that aspect but I actually, I think I'd never had anything so slow and I guess slightly more rigid in a way, um, which was something that I needed. And yeah, I definitely, so I definitely had to really learn. So one of my reasons for going to yoga, which I didn't say was because I'd had these injuries was I needed to build strength and understanding in my body without putting it through too much stress. Mm -hmm. And so I was quite lucky early on that a lot of the teach, I just happened to just go to some teachers who had good awareness, I think for hypermobility and they would keep coming around and sort of being like that elbow, you know, that knee kind of where, what are we doing with this? And then in my 300 hours that I did years ago, um, I was still very much in an ego-based asana practice. And I was, the, the teacher really triggered me, really challenged me. I was in, um, I was in box splits and I was, you know, one of the, one of the assistants had come over and had put blocks underneath my feet for me to go basically like, to go first. So, you yeah, know, here's my box split, but he was like, you know, we're going to go to this point. Ooh. And so that was happening in the practice. And then afterwards I was like, oh, you know, he put two blocks under my legs. I'm sure maybe I could put three under. And so I'm just sitting there after class and the teacher just came over to me and like, who are you doing this for? Mm. And that question really hit me. I was like, who, who, who am I doing it for? I don't, I don't need to prove it to myself. I'm not, it just really and then I come back to that question so often of like who is this for all of my movement practice when I go to the gym when I'm on my mat when I'm like dancing up here 
It's like, who is this for and why am I doing it? And if that alignment isn't in place in that it's like really just serving my soul in the moment, then let's take a look and change it up a little bit. I love that. Sorry, I went on a massive tangent there. No, love a tangent. That idea of who you're doing it for is interesting. Now, when you have your platform now, you have your platform, you're you're teaching online (laughs) and you are serving, I guess, so many people. And there was something interesting in that and quite hard in that, in that, of course, you can be honest and open, but nonetheless, you are still having to provide content, etc. How do you deal with the kind of the pressure that is evolved in that? I currently, as of next weekend, have in my diary, cat, two weeks off Instagram. Um, so it definitely, um, it, it is, it, I will be honest, it's definitely not a daily battle for me because I think that I'm quite happy to, you know, not post of a day. So I'm just going to move myself like over here so that I'm not mm-hmm. literally in like direct Sun sunlight. Sun is shining on you. That's a bit better. Um it, it is challenging 100% because you so, you know, you have to get really deep into this is my, what part of it is serving the business? What part of it is serving me on like an energetic happiness, joy level? And then what part of it, because let's really face it, anyone with a plan, like if we're really honest, anyone that is sharing anything on Instagram, there's part of it that is validation based. Part of it is ego and validation based. No, no denying it. And I can fully step into that and be like, there is a percentage of what I do that is, that is that, you know, if I, if I didn't have that part of it, then, you know, I could sit here and probably say, no, it's all to grow the business. It's all to keep just serving other people, which it is but there's still a percentage that obviously feeds feeds those little parts of my brain that need that that little bit of validation that little bit of love um so it can be hard it can be it can be challenging but i think that if you you know every single time i you know i have people around me who also do what i do and so we'll just kind of have like a quick rant to each other of being like did you get caught up last week in sort of work and numbers and likes and engagement and we'll just chat it through and just kind of bring ourselves back down to a level and I think that's really important you know there's some people who are wonderful at what they do but every time I see them the the conversation is instantly Instagram engagement content who's doing what you know the competition between people and it is just it's an exhausting place to be and to be quite honest I don't have the energy to be for my head to be in that zone anyway Mm. so I think as well not being around not spending time with loads of people that are doing loads of stuff online is helpful because my partner isn't online he doesn't have Instagram he's not on Facebook he's not on YouTube so I get very grounded from being in the house here with him as well Mm. You said about uh, finding the physical, um, as- I'm going back to Trick and Asana for the last time, but you said about finding the physical part of it, uh, the stillness, difficult. Um, obviously, yoga asks us to be still a lot um, energetically and emotionally. Is that something that you struggled with when you started on the yoga journey? Oh, when I started, yeah. So really, when so obviously I came to yoga through the physical um, and always really loved anything, any meditation where there was uh, breath work involved, where there was a bit of visualization involved, 
you know, the doing, if I was doing something within the meant to be doing nothing, then I felt, I found that I was like, oh, I can do this. Like, I feel okay with this. But in the moments where I was just kind of like left in pure silence and stillness, of course, absolutely really struggled and and still do you know I still there's still days where I'll come to my meditation practice and the mind's wandering but that's all part of it being able to kind of just be aware of it and still being able to sit through it knowing that it there's no such thing as a perfect meditation there's no such thing as a right or wrong meditation it's the the intention of me just sitting and being is all I needed to do. That was all I needed to have in that moment. And whatever happens from there was whatever was what was meant to happen. But yeah, I mean, bearing in mind, if my first practice was 13 years ago, it's taken me a long time to get to that point. And also, you know, you have, you, I definitely have had moments throughout my life, depending on what's going on in my life, where I've then fallen away from that stillness practice. Mm. And the only time I've been able to find it is on my mat. Mm. You know, taking that long child's pose, taking that long shavasana, because coming to it in any other way just felt way too daunting. Mm. So, and for me, the other practice that I has been really helpful on my journey with kind of sitting with and just being still um, is journaling. Like that for me has just been one of the biggest helps for for healing, for reflecting, for growth. Um, yeah. What does like that is completely alien to me. Like what does Don't journaling? Lie. You do it every morning. I see you. <laughs> <laughs> what does journaling like look like? Like to the listeners, like what does it look like? Is there a formula? Is there something no, like, you would advise people to great start question. on? This is a great question. The fact that you even asked it. So there can, of course, be a formula. There are lots of journals out there. And some people, I do think, need need direction. Um, So I think, you know, you can get like happiness journals, goal setting journals, gratitude journals, and they'll outline things that you can do. And some people really go with that. My journaling is more, I mean, it's different every day. Um, I love writing poems. So sometimes it will be a poem. Other times it will literally be like a four page dear diary entry of like, this is what happened. This is how I felt. Sometimes it will just be scribbles with words. Um, We do our gratitude list every night over dinner so that I kind of don't really journal gratitude because we vocalize it in the house. Um, Can you explain that to our listeners? Like what? (laughs) Uh, yeah, so every night over dinner, um, we just do uh, three things that we're grateful for within that day. Um, and it's daily, every single day. And if we're not together on that day, we message it to each other. Um, and then if, we, if we're if we kind of feeling like we want to take it further, we'll do um, one thing that we celebrate about ourselves in that day. And then one thing we celebrate about the other person in that day. That's so lovely. We'd run out Can stuff we... quite quickly. <laughs> We, we should start doing that. I like that. All right. <laughs> start tonight. It, I mean, as well, if you're stuck for conversation at dinner, it's great because you've always got a go-to. But That's it's really funny because nice I make my family do it. Like whenever my family come and my dad, every time, my dad, this dinner, the glass of wine, my family. And he, he hates it. And he does the same ones every time. But he's learned because he used to really resist. But I'm not doing it. I'm not doing this stupid game. 
not doing the silly game. And then I'm like, dad, if you just pick three, you could always repeat them every time. And then we move past you and we're not looking at you anymore. Uh, oh, I love that. Um, but no, so gratitude, I think is, and it's like gratitude, you know, they're, they're doing so many studies on it now as to like how that, that, how that gratitude practice um, changes like the way your brain is functioning and things like that. And mm. a lot of people do. So a lot of people in the morning, they'll do their gratitude because it's a really nice way to start the day. Um, so I'll normally just to myself think about it. But when we vocalize it, we vocalize mm. it. Yeah. At dinner time. Nice. And even like a loving kindness meditation, that's been proven to mm. really have a yeah. profound effect. So loving kindness. If I want to, I do that most mornings under, under a tree. <laughs> Do you know what? That's no, um. Don't, don't, don't. I would love to. No, it would I be nice. Like, that's really nice. <laughs> I'm I'm like, 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 she's like, is she is he being serious right now? <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh, I'm gonna come. I'm coming yeah. for a long time of meditation. Yeah. Do you know what? That's been my one constant practice that I think I've done pretty much every single day, probably for the last ten minutes. As soon as I wake up, it's the first thing I say is thank you for my life because I know mm-hmm. how how um important gratitude is, and it it does. It just sets you up for the day, and it's just a, a nice little thing and to start on, with. On, yeah. On one level, like this is kind of more me as in the uh the stoics used to do a thing uh where you would take a moment to really appreciate the things you have imagine losing them which sounds quite morbid but there is a reason for it imagine losing them which then in turn makes you then appreciate them a little bit more yeah uh yeah so it's quite solemn and it's not as kind of light as a way to do 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 that about me every day no but i think it's (laughs) that that was when, when i started yoga i was reading a lot of kind of hellenistic philosophies and that yeah. was one of the things I used to do before a class. Like imagine, e- like even down to like imagining losing my parents or like, because then it means you think, okay, well actually I really, ha-, and it makes you not want new things. It makes you appreciate what you have a little bit more. What you've already got. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really, I think that I, <laughs> I'm so emotional that if I like even had a thought of like, oh, if imagine if I lost my parents, I'd then be like, right, well now I need to journal for three hours because yeah. I'm so sad <laughs> that I might lose my parents. <laughs> Do you think that on some level your, you know, your practice, your journey has, has inspired your, your parents? Because I know you said your dad is sort of slowly losing resistance. Did you see them affected by it? So my mum is my biggest fan. Aww. She does my yoga practices. So she has the app and she does her soul sanctuary practices every day. Aww. And then she WhatsApps me to tell me which one she's done um, just to hold herself accountable. Um, she's actually a real inspiration to me because she, I'm... I have my practices, but I'm not very good at doing the same thing at the same time every day, uh, other than, I guess, dinner, but that's more, but again, that's partly because it revolves around a physical act with someone else. Um, Whereas my mom, if someone says to her, this will be really good for your health, she will be like, right, that's going in my morning routine. So I've just got her doing Wim Hof. She now, she's dash downloaded the Wim Hof app and she's, she does cold showers now uh, as well. Wow. Um, so my, my dad is a lot harder. Um, he's very much kind of stuck in his ways, but, you know, he has his own way of doing things. He loves being outdoors. He loves, you know, hiking and walking and they, and they've always been into that, but no, 100%, like my, my work has definitely influenced a lot of changes in my mom um which i know that she is really happy about and really grateful for and i think when when my parents retire and hopefully they'll move at some point to like the countryside then i'm we're hoping that my dad might might i was like dad why don't you just do like a 10 minute like head and neck stretch that i've got 
Just mm. oh. he just he's so resistant. Do you know what? My dad has just started doing yoga. He's, he's, oh. We got we got him a little mat. Well, not a little mat, but we got him a nice mat. And I recorded him like a 10 minute morning stretch. And he's like, I do your yoga every morning, Holly. And I'm like, oh, it's so see, I'm yeah. wait, I want that. It's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you believe that you know, yoga finds everyone at exactly the right time? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I do. And I think that, you know, that's why I've never. I guess I'm never like I'd never be forceful on on someone and even when I kind of talk about it you know people will ask me you know what are the benefits and things like that like why should I do it and I'll I'll give them you know a few of the facts but ultimately I think that when we're ready we're ready I mean in the same way that you know I'll buy a book that I know is a really deep book and that it's probably going to open up a lot for me and it will sit on my book I'll buy it and it will sit on my Mm. bookshelf for four to six months before I even open it but I just look at it and I trust that when that when the time is right that I will be drawn to that book Mm. I know that I will go to it at the time that I need it so I just yeah have that trust that we'll all kind of get there when we're supposed to if we're supposed to you've mentioned morning routine a lot like what I guess what does yours look like and I know some people like, I think we've got a guest on in a few weeks his morning routine like goes on to 11 o'clock <laughs> like he has which is amazing like it depends on the life you live of course if you work nine to five or like if you're a little bit like, like my my life is a bit more erratic so I'll be like waking up then running to London like, really quickly but what does yours look like so I'm so the morning for me is probably like the most it's probably the most like, well, it is the most regular thing that I have. So my morning routine, and I don't do every single one of these things every day. And I think that's really important, but always without now. So always a cup of hot water, lemon, and a cup of English breakfast tea with some almond milk, always. Um, And I usually read my book in bed whilst I have those. No, not, not on a weekend on the weekdays because I think that that's such like a thing that we think that you're only allowed to do on like a Sunday morning is like read a book in bed um but so but my alarm goes off at six and I'm you know I'm a I like mornings I'm early to bed early to rise um so yeah have my cup of tea just chill read a book um we have like a no phone rule in our bedroom so Phones are never in the bedroom. They're always charged outside of the bedroom overnight. So majority of the time, unless there's something that I desperately know that like if I'm having a day in London and I know that I need to like check traffic or check trains, that's the only time that I'll go to my phone before seven. So my first hour will will always be without phones. So then cold shower, then Wim Hof breath, um, then either some form of meditation and or movement the meditation will might sometimes just be kind of like a five minute meditation at the end of movement. Um, but my movement practice in the morning won't necessarily be like my main movement practice of the day. Um, so I'll do like a little, maybe like 10, 15 minute wiggle on my mat, a little stretch, maybe some free movement. And then maybe I'll do, I'll go to the gym later in the day or we'll go for a swim in the sea or I'll do like a bigger practice on my mat or some handstand training or whatever. Mm. Nice. What I was going to say, what is coming up for you in the future? Do you, do you plan out your vision or do you just let things flow? Do you know what's coming? What's around the corner? My, my least favorite question in life is, <laughs> what's your five-year plan? Oh, yeah. oh no. Right. I'm like, 
I don't even know what my five-week plan is. <laughs> um, I'm with so you. This, so obviously now, so my, the Soul Sanctuary, which is obviously my online membership, that we just launched um, a sustainable and recycled um, a little apparel collection. So that's been really cool to see both members and non-members um, buying it and kind of just feeling, yeah, like part of the community is what I really wanted to create with it. Um, but I've got a lot of plans for, I think I have a lot of plans, but I just don't put dates and times on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got a lot of plans for the Soul Sanctuary app. Um, obviously, retreats, I just had to cancel another one. Yeah, um, so it's, I, you know, retreats for me are my, they're like the, the highlight of my job. I think like they're the part that, you know, I love getting, I love that I have this community online, but ultimately these people are online. I don't get to like cuddle them Mm. every morning. Yeah. Retreats are like being on a journey with, with people and they're so invested in being there and they're so invested in their growth and stuff like that, that, yeah. So I, obviously I plan to do run a few more retreats, but at the moment really just focusing on the growth of the soul sanctuary and doing maybe some in-person mm. meetups for the members and some events and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I tend to not really put too many, you know, I might decide that I want to change a career in five years time. Yeah. It's nice. <laughs> it's nice that. to be That's open. Isn't it? I yeah. think when you have these, these plans, five or 10 year plans, although it's useful in a sense, it makes you kind of wish time away and I, yeah i think that's why i actually one of the one of like the um one of the things i actually struggle with which is kind of like not a healing modality but it's a a growth and success modality is um like visualizations and vision boards and manifesting um and not to say those things aren't valid i think that they are amazing but i do I think I personally struggle with them because I struggle with that feeling of being kind of like held into just like one vision. I want to be really open to whatever kind of comes my way. And I think sometimes we get so set on this word manifesting, which (laughs) another word that I struggle with. It's just everyone's a manifester. (laughs) Everyone's manifesting their life. Um, Not to say that you guys shouldn't be. It's a wonderful word, but you know, I just think sometimes we can get a bit too streamlined and one track minded on a goal, on a vision, and that then we're actually oblivious to other doors that are opening on that path. Yeah, so totally yeah. with you on that. That's such a refreshing answer. Thank you. Should we do some quick fires now? Yeah. Oh. <gasps> quick fires. Well, I'm interested as you, uh, I hope your partner doesn't mind, but do you mind sharing with us your three things that you're grateful for today? Or you can do yesterday's oh. one. <laughs> No, I can. Oh, no, I'll do today's one. Um, I am, well, I'm grateful for talking to you both early in the morning because I'm a morning person and it was just nice to speak to some new people mm. and some friendly faces. So I'm very grateful for this opportunity. Um, I am grateful for Norman because every morning without fail, his little adorable face just makes me smile and he doesn't have to do anything. He just is adorable. And I am grateful because right now outside my window, there is blue sky and really beautiful bubbly clouds. And I can see a tree as well. Oh, that's lovely. Thank okay. you. Can you recite one of your poems, please? Uh, no, no, you don't need to do that. No, no. no. <laughs> on the spot. Uh, no, could you instead, any kind of quote or an aphorism, anything that kind of motivates you that you often come back to? Uh, yes, uh, the quote that I always come back to, you can't rush something that you want to last forever. 
That's nice. Love that. Um, I have read that you are a fan of sweet treats. So please tell us your favorite one, your go-to. Um, oh, so many. <laughs> Just one. Because <laughs> uh, it's sunny outside, I'm going to say a vegan almond magnum. Mm. Oh, good choice. Anything, Bang. now you've been refurbishing a house. Anything yeah. you wish you'd known before like, or any top tips for anyone about to refurb a house? Oh, um, save a lot of money. <laughs> 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 I mean, I don't know what else I've got. I think, oh, live it, live in it before you change everything. Mm. I think that so often we buy a house and we're like, I can't wait to change everything. But actually you forget that once you lived in it, you understand what works and what doesn't in terms of like the flow of the house. So yeah. live in it for a while first. Yeah. And what do you want us to tell people about like in terms of what you've got on offer, websites, clothing, anything else? Yeah, just, uh, well, the Soul Sanctuary. That's that's my baby. It's where I teach. I teach yoga. I teach meditation. I teach free movement. Um, and it's just a real good time with some real good people. Um, we're going to have guest teachers coming on over like the next few years and it's just the community is really what makes it what it is. You know, we have a little private members Facebook group and the the vulnerability and the the sharing that happens in that space, it just inspires me constantly. So yeah, come come flow with me. And you can do my practices for free on YouTube. If you don't want to join, there's lots for free. And your Instagram is just Cat Method. Cat Method. Oh, and Perfect. the My Soul Sanctuary as well. Where is that now? Is it Welsh? Method. Yeah. It sounds uh, kind of Welsh. Scottish. 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 <laughs> yeah. Thank you not, so not much. Not many of us. And I don't want to lose my surname, but you know. You don't have to. Well, I won't lose it professionally, but if 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 we if if we marry. No fusion? Or would they not take well, yours? Well, I said that, but I don't think it would work. And I have to repre- I have to understand that I have a brother who will continue my family name. But my partner is the only boy, so he's the only person that continue, that can continue right. his family name. So compromise. Or you could create, could, you could create a new one. Like to I mean, out, out, like sanctuary. Okay. I think I'd like to, if I if I ever created a new surname, I'd be Fox. I'd be Cat Fox. Ooh, love that. That's quite porn. That's true. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah I was just nodding. Like, yeah, I love it. I'm quite porn, I think. Holly Hustler. But not in that. You so are. It should be any sense. You are. I'm going I'm I'm to be honest. It's a great name. It's a great name. Yeah, I was more than happy to let go of the other one. <laughs> oh, Kat, thank you so it's been much. A pleasure. Thank you for being so honest and, and open as well with us. I really appreciate it. You're so welcome. I can't believe that it's already the end. I was just like chatting. I was like, what is the time? Nice. The